marching because something needs to be done. There's not enough action, there's too much talk. I'm tired of seeing wildfires around the world. I'm tired of seeing animal species being put under threat because of human beings' choices. Dear friends, hello and welcome to this very special episode of Call of the Wild, the podcast from WWF UK with me, Kel Spellman. It is such a treat to be back with you. Now, I don't think you can scroll through socials or switch on the telly or hear conversations out on the streets or at work without the mention of a very important climate conference taking place in Glasgow. Oh yes, it's the 26th UN Climate Change Conference of the Parties, also known to you and me as COP26. Now I'm actually recording this from Glasgow where leaders from all over the world are coming together to discuss a green future and work out how to cut carbon emissions. It will come as no surprise to you, my friends, that we need action and fast Carbon emissions sadly have more than doubled in the last 50 years, with 32 billion metric tonnes of carbon dioxide released in 2020 alone. That's the same weight as 8 billion elephants or 174 million Boeing 747 aeroplanes. So in our COP26 episode, we'll hear from actor, WWF global ambassador and climate activist Maisie Williams about the changes she wants to see. You know, one of the biggest ones would be governmental change, like in supply chains and in greener sort of alternatives. Also, while I've been in Glasgow, I've caught up with some WWF experts, Belle Leon and Stephen Cornelius, for the lowdown on COP26. And why is this particular COP so important and what do we want to see? It needs to show that the Paris Agreement works. We've got a long way to go, but I, I do have hope that we're, we're going to get there. And friends, this was a real moment for me in Glasgow. I was honoured and extremely grateful to meet Chai Surui, who's speaking up for her indigenous community in the Amazon rainforest. I invite everyone to join the indigenous people's fight for life and the planet. So let's first of all find out exactly what COP26 is all about. We're going to go back to basics here. What are the key goals our planet and us need from this conference and how are we going to do it? Let me introduce Stephen Cornelius, Chief Advisor for Climate Change at WWF UK. He has got it covered. So COP, the Conference of the Parties, is the annual meeting of all the countries, so about 200 countries, that are part of what's called the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which is the, the UN body that deals with climate change. COP26 in Glasgow is the 26th of these meetings. So the first one was in 1995 in Berlin. There's been sort of famous ones in 97 was the Kyoto, which is where the Kyoto Protocol came from. Mm -hmm. And probably the most famous is COP21 in 2015, which is where the Paris Agreement came from. Ah, OK, right. Now... Please correct me if I'm wrong. It is a little bit frustrating, I guess, and I guess for yourself as well, you know, because if you hear that this is the 26th time that we're meeting around such a big issue, has there been progress or are we still kind of where we started back in Berlin in 1995? We have progressed. We've progressed in our scientific understanding. We've progressed in what countries are doing. Mm -hmm. For example, since COP21 in 2015 in Paris, at that time, the expectation of temperature rise by the end of the century was 
four degrees or more. With the pledges that countries have done since the Paris Agreement, you get to about two and a half degrees. So a lot different, nowhere near enough, yep. but you know, we, we've bent the curve. There's some sort of talk about you know, net zero pledges. And if you add those, you might get to around two degrees. I mean, there's lots of ifs in there and there's <laughs> yeah. lots of policies that need to happen. But, you know, we're getting closer to the target. And um, what are, first of all, the main goals and what are the things we're hoping to come out of this year's COP in particular, Stephen? A main thing for us is COP26 in Glasgow. It needs to show that the Paris Agreement works. Yes. Paris was about making a treaty, getting agreement and then this is showing that you know it, it is working, and and I believe it is working. The the fact that you countries are bringing forward pledges, things are happening, but it's not enough. Mm. A second thing is uh, nature that you just spoke of. You know, how do we make sure that nature is part of this? Make, that nature's in in the heart of any agreement. And then there's other things such as finance, you know, supporting developing countries to meet their commitments. So there's a, there's a few things that, that we want to see out of COP. And, you know, this week what we saw is, you know, various pledges. So India pledging net zero by 2070 and, you know, more renewable capacity. We saw a pledge around countries saying that, you know, we need to cut methane emissions by 30%. We had a pledge around ending deforestation by 2030. We had more pledges around finance. But as I said, you know, pledges are one thing. It's delivery of them is, yeah. is the main thing. Absolutely. Uh, and, and what are some of the other good things, I guess, that have come out of previous COPs? Are there any kind of, you know, actual tangible things that you've seen actually have come out of these conferences that have been put into practice? Any kind of things that can bring us hope that things can come out of these? In the UK, you know, we have a Climate Change Act. In 2008, we set a target to reduce emissions by 80% in 2050 compared to 1990 level. At the time, it seemed like a huge, a huge target. And that was based on you know, the idea that we needed to keep temperature rise two degrees above pre-industrial levels. Paris brought a new target, the idea of that we need to have one and a half degrees rather than two. So two, you know, it wasn't enough. So you had a group of developing countries led by you know, low island developing states saying, look, for us, two degrees is an existential threat. We're going to be wiped out at two degrees. And so from there, you know, the UK changed its target. It's now got a net zero target in 2050. So you know, it can inspire big changes. I guess as well, kind of looking at those kind of broader topics, there's also the topic of nature. Is that also a great ally? And do you think that's also something that countries are going to use and can lean on and try and help push as well? There's no pathway to limit global warming to 1.5 that doesn't include nature. You think about the emissions profile of the world, about three quarters is fossil emissions. So from coal, oil and gas, burning that for energy. The rest is related to land use somehow. And that's about 23% of global emissions. You know, if you need to get to net zero, you need that to get to zero as well, or even a net removal. So because trees and soils and kelp forests have the ability to draw down carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and hold onto it for a long time, you need that to happen. You need to protect nature. You need to restore nature to make that happen. Yeah, another one, a great one I've only learned about recently is um, seagrass, which I know there's a big kind of project going on around that at the moment, which is really good at pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and then in turn creating habitats for wildlife as well. That kind of leads me on to my, kind of one of my final questions for you, Stephen, is, you know, how do I guess we as the people ensure that the pledges become actual action and also hold them to their promises as well? Goes back to that accountability question. Is there stuff we can be doing as the individual or are we quite powerless? 
No, we're not powerless at all. In the UK, again, you know, the example where, where we live, there's things you can do as an individual in terms of you, know, you can look at your carbon footprint and, and you know, so we have a carbon footprint calculator can look at you know, the stuff you buy and the food you eat and how you get around and you know, that sort of thing. Those of us who are old enough, you can vote and sort of choose a government that has strong designs on climate action. You know, with your wallet, you can decide, you know, am I going to buy particular things? You know, which country companies am I going to buy stuff from? So there's lots you can do as an individual. And, you know, if, if someone says, you know, individuals can't do anything, you know, you look at Greta, she's, she's shown that, you know, one person can make a huge difference here. So you can sort of mobilise for action outside. Beautiful. Thanks, Stephen. And my final question, which I ask all my guests on Call of the Wild, is what brings you hope? You know, I've been doing this for a few years, not as long as many people, but Things have changed a lot in those sort of 16, 17 years that I've been working on climate change. Cost of renewables have dropped hugely. You know, it's more awareness of it, less fossil in the UK. As I said, we, we've got a long way to go, but I, I do have hope that we're, we're going to get there. That was Stephen Cornelius from WWF UK. So it's been six years since leaders around the world came together and signed that monumental Paris Agreement. Now, if you want to know more about that, we covered that in our climate episode in our first series, which is well worth the listen. But in its simplest form, the Paris Agreement was a commitment from world leaders to keep the temperature rise to just 1.5 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. But the question I want answering is why 1.5? Although half a degree might not sound like much, for the planet and the species that call it home, there's a world of difference between 1.5 and 2 degrees of warming. This is because with every fraction of a degree that global temperatures rise, so do the risks of negative impacts from climate change, such as heat waves, extreme droughts, heavy rain and rising sea levels. These risks all go up dramatically at 2 degrees compared with 1.5 and even more so with even higher levels of warming. For some of us, it can mean water or food shortages if extreme weather disrupts harvests, which then has a knock-on effect on livelihoods all around the world. Plus, many communities may be driven from their homes. These aren't just a future problem. These are changes that indigenous communities are all too familiar with. And it doesn't just touch human lives, but also the creatures and plants that we share the planet with. Take emperor penguins, the biggest penguin species on Earth. They rely on thick, stable Antarctic fast ice to meet their mates, raise their chicks and prepare their fresh feathers for the next year. At two degrees of warming, the likely loss of this ice could take them close to extinction by the end of the century. But at 1.5 degrees or less, their future would be secured. Then there are leatherback turtles. These deep divers are exquisitely sensitive to temperature changes. Bizarrely, their sex is decided by the temperature of the sands where they lay their eggs, and a higher temperature means a disproportionately higher number of females, putting the next generation of turtles in danger of not finding a mate. Plus, rising sea levels and storms can wash away turtle nests, or even permanently erode nesting beaches over time, and these risks increase more and more as the global temperature increases. And a more surprising example, coffee. Although a hot cup of coffee perks us up in the morning, 
high temperatures spell disaster for the world's favourite coffee species, the much-loved Arabica. From excessive heat exposure, unpredictable rainfall, increased vulnerability to pests and disease, and a lack of appropriate pollinators like bees, coffee will be in big trouble. But if we can limit global warming to less than 1.5 degrees, we'll be protecting this crucial crop that sustains the livelihood of 100 million people and sustains us on a long day too. And at the end of the day, it's all about managing risk because there's no true safe level of global warming. Every fraction of a degree matters, and that's why shifting from coal, oil and gas to renewables for energy and protecting and restoring natural carbon sinks like the Amazon rainforest to keep 1.5 on the table is so important. Even two degrees would be significantly worse. That just shows how finely balanced the natural world is and how much of a difference just 0.5 degrees can make to habitats and ecosystems all around the world. Now, one key solution to protecting our planet is to protect its plants and their natural ability to store carbon for centuries. In the time it takes to say deforestation, a chunk of forest the size of a football pitch is destroyed. That's every two seconds, every single day. And of course, without them, we really cannot win the race to save the planet. At COP in Glasgow, I had the absolute pleasure of meeting up with Belle Leon, the Latin America Regional Manager for WWF UK, and the incredible privilege of meeting Chai Surui, an indigenous climate activist from the Amazon who's fighting to protect her home. Belle kicked things off by explaining why the Amazon is so important for regulating our planet's climate. So the Amazon spans nine countries and is about twice the size of India. And comparing to Scotland, where we are now, is about 100 times the size of Scotland. Wow. So, yeah, and in terms of biodiversity, it is so incredible that about one in 10 species in the world is found in the Amazon. And, and if you think about sort of average species found and sort of discovered throughout time, is about one new species found every three days. Every three days. I know. And, and there's so many species that we have no idea that they're still to be discovered. So, um, Oh, wow. Okay, I mean, it's that just also adds to why it needs to, to be protected because we still have yet so much to learn about it, I guess. Exactly, so much to learn. And so the Amazon is the world's largest rainforest yeah. and it plays a really crucial role in regulating the world's climate. So just to give you an idea, it's about 20 billion tonnes of water vapour released every day by the trees in the Amazon. So it's really, really huge. And what also that means is that the trees absorb a lot of carbon. Of yeah. So it's about 1 billion tonnes of carbon absorbed. Wow. Would that be where the term a carbon sink comes from? Yes, it's, exactly. It's, it's a carbon sink then. Yes, absolutely. So carbon sink means that the trees in the Amazon store a lot of carbon that is absorbed from the atmosphere. However, what have we been finding in recent years is that the Amazon now, because of deforestation and fires in, in some parts of the Amazon, is becoming less of a carbon sink and it's releasing carbon into the atmosphere. Ah, so it's starting to have the reverse effect now. Yes, yeah. exactly. So we know that a lot of deforestation that's happening in Brazil is for 
growing food. So we really have a, a role to play and not just individuals as consumers, but our governments, they have to create legislation that guarantees that the food that we're buying is not driving deforestation. How far away are we from the point of no return with the Amazon bell? We know that we are getting close to a tipping point where the Amazon will become a much drier ecosystem and then it won't be able to continue the water cycle and producing the ecosystem services that it does at the moment. So that means once we reach that point of no return, we might lose the Amazon for good. Around 20% of the Amazon has already gone, sadly. And if we reach 25%, so another 5%, we might get to this tipping point. And it could be in five years, in 10 years, we can't tell for sure. But we won't reach Paris' target of 1.5 if we don't keep the forest. So it must be one of our priorities and it must be centred to all the discussions here. And that's why it's really important that the indigenous voices here telling what's happening in the Amazon in with the, in their lives because uh, this is, yeah, it's central. bigger than us, yeah, mm. it really reason. Mm. I saw an amazing fact uh, which says the indigenous communities around the world, which only account for 6% of the world's population, uh, actually protect 80% of the world's biodiversity. The fact this next person I'm about to come on is, is not just on Zoom. We're actually doing this in person. It is just an incredible privilege because now I'd like to welcome onto the podcast all the way from the Amazon and representing, of course, those indigenous communities is Chai Surui. Thank you. <laughs> what changes, Chai, have you seen to your home, the Amazon? We are suffering from the causes and the consequences of climate change. The forest fires, the deforestation you've already mentioned, have been plaguing our territory. Our crops no longer grow as before. The animals that serve as game, that are part of our food security, are disappearing, just as the rivers are drying up and fish are disappearing too. And we see that it no longer rains as before. And there is a plant that was previously sacred to us for our rituals that we no longer find in the village. Yeah, I wondered, Chai, what does it mean to you to defend the Amazon and where does the drive and motivation come from when we are facing such a, a massive industrial-sized problem? For me, to defend the Amazon is to defend life. Because regardless of whether I'm young, I think that, in fact, the youth already understood that many older people did not understand that the time is now and that if we don't fight now, we won't have a future. We won't have a present. And that's why I am here at COP. I'm here to defend the Amazon, not only for my people, not only for my territory, but for life itself, for everyone's life on our planet, for me, for you and for everyone around the world. One of the things I find pops up a lot in this conversation is people feeling overwhelmed and thinking, what can I do? And then they don't do anything. You're incredibly inspiring and your work speaks for itself. How do you keep going and not lose hope? First, I think that we cannot lose hope. Young people are hope. My strength comes from my people. It also comes from what I carry with me, from the forest spirits of my family and those who are on my side fighting with me. But that's because we are fighting for life. 
we see life differently. For us, animals, plants and trees are life. But I fight for Mother Earth, who is alive and is also taking care of us at all times. For those who are with me and also who give me strength. Yeah. Okay, and I've got one, one more, which is, Chai, thank you for being on the podcast. If you had one message to my listeners, and actually if my listeners also involved world leaders and the people around the world, what would your message be? My message to those who are listening is that we must understand that the time is now to talk about climate change and that we also need to look at the most vulnerable populations that are suffering and fighting against it, which are mainly the indigenous peoples who are on the front line. We also need to ensure that world leaders have the responsibility for the future of the planet in their hands, so that they listen, put the indigenous peoples at the centre of this discussion, because it is unacceptable for them to have this kind of dialogue without us being present. And I take the opportunity to invite everyone to fight with us, because if I'm fighting for everyone, it's because it's not just my fight. So, I invite everyone to join the indigenous peoples fight for life and the planet. Então convido todo mundo a se juntar à luta dos povos indígenas pela vida e pelo planeta. Chai, I, I will do all I can to continue to amplify your voice and the voices of the indigenous communities and um, yeah, just thank you and I mean obrigado, Chai. <laughs> thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. For me, having the chance to speak to Chai in person is something that is going to stay with me. I think for the rest of my life. One of the biggest things that I'll take away from COP is being here and experiencing COP with a global community, seeing indigenous leaders all coming together, all pulling in the same direction, all asking for the same thing. We know that climate change is a universal problem. It doesn't matter where you are, where you come from, what you do, it affects us all. And I think that feeling has definitely been felt here at COP and the energy has been quite amazing. And I will just say as well, a special thank you to Chai again for her time and for her words and for her wisdom. And actually, if you want to see more from the brilliant Chai, WWF UK have just released a really cool new film focusing on the amazing work Chai and her mother are doing to protect their home, the Amazon rainforest. You can find that online and is well worth your time. So my next guest on our COP26 special is somebody I'm sure that you will all know and be very familiar with. The fantastic and brilliant Maisie Williams, who played Arya Stark in Game of Thrones, amongst so many other films and television series. And not just that, Maisie is an incredibly passionate climate activist, and this year was named WWF's first global ambassador for climate and nature. So I caught up with Maisie the day before COP started to chat about protecting our planet, what she was doing at COP26, and what sparked her passion for the natural world. I think my school did a really good job at teaching us about the environment and about our impact and about really just at a very simple level, recycling. So from a very early age, I understood the trouble of like our waste it never really goes away and your toothbrush is still here and it will be here after <laughs> you're gone. <laughs> What's one of the the best things you've seen in nature? Was it was it on one of your kind of whale and dolphin expeditions? Is, is there any always a memory that stands out to you about 
uh, seeing or you've experienced in the natural world? You know, so many times. I mean, seeing the orca whales in the wild and that was like unbelievable. Yeah. But actually, you know, taking it back to yesterday, I went for a walk and we stopped and there's been so much rain recently and the little stream near where we walked past was like, it was really loud for the first time because there was so much rushing water and we sort of noticed for the first time how deep the water had got and it's just beautiful to look at. Mm. That just brings you, makes you, that's why I went for my walk and I saw it and I felt it and it makes you, yeah, I don't know, just make me feel grounded and connected and and I think that it can be as simple as that. It doesn't need to be an expedition out into the ocean to see orcas in the wild. Like it, it can just be out in your garden. And I think that the world is beautiful in every sense. Um, yeah, you know, it's that reminder of we are much a part of it as it is a part of us, isn't it? Absolutely. And when you do get those magic moments, it is it hits your soul, doesn't it? It does. It's soul nourishing for sure. Of course. So we, we mentioned you're actually in Glasgow now, but what are you going to be doing at COP26 uh, this year, Maisie? So I am lucky enough this evening to do an opening address for a new BBC Natural History Unit film in collaboration with Sir David Attenborough. Um, and it's about, it's called The Green Planet and it's more centred around our plants. And we've spoken before about how this climate crisis is terrifying but we're lucky enough that plants are a huge solution and we know how to do that the earth knows how to do that we just gotta give it a bit of encouragement and yeah and and a bit of protection but yeah i'm looking forward to people you know premiering this movie for the first time because i do think that it's another option like another solution to this big yes. problem and it can be drunk up in you know the most beautiful format <laughs> yeah hopefully by some of the most important people exactly. as well exactly uh, well all the luck for that and as well i think a very fitting person to be to be opening that premiere looking at though of course beyond this kind of opening the next two weeks broadly speaking when when we look at the fight that we do have on our hands and the crisis that we face what are the changes you'd like to see you know, one of the biggest ones would be governmental change. Mm-hmm. This needs to come like in supply chains and in greener sort of alternatives. And the way that we operate our countries needs to be cleaner and renewable energy needs to be our main source of energy. Yeah. But it sort of trickles all the way through to many different industries, really. And there's a couple of different ways that you do that. I think that we can create change by voting. The more that we uh, we we ask for what we need, and we hold you know write our letters and hold people accountable, and we take to the streets, and the more that we do that, incredible. I also think that huge corporations and huge conglomerate companies have a lot of power, arguably more than governments, but that's a conversation for another day. And I think the more that we see consumers with their money saying this is what I like and this is what I want I want to buy from you but please can we have a better alternative you know if there's a local restaurant that you like to go to and they don't do you know recyclable takeaway things or like whatever then just ask them ask them say please like can you can you do this and I think that in the way that we sort of speak to our governments I think that uh, speaking to our large corporations and the people who control our lives I think that's another really good way of of creating change what are some of the lessons you've learned along the way uh kind of around your work uh, and maybe i guess as well around just kind of people power and and the, the change that can come because i know especially when you will have started same as me 
you mentioned the words climate change or you were kind of going, we need to start looking after the planet. It was like, you're that little bit of a weird one in the corner and no one wants to entertain the conversation. Uh, I think like in terms of like the personal lessons that I've learned, I used to like get in very heated discussions a lot. And like, not only would that make me feel like awful but I actually don't think that I ever really changed anyone's mind I don't really think that they (laughs) then went away and went oh she was really mad so I'm pretty sure that I should do that now whenever I've been impacted by another person it's not even necessarily because they've told me to live that my life the way that they are but I've just seen them being so comfortable and so confident in their morals and their like reasons and being consistent in that, Mm. that I have like been very inspired by that. I agree. We have to mention, of course, as well, earlier on in the year, and I was so delighted to see this, you became a WWF Global Ambassador, which is huge. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. One of my, my proudest achievements. Well, that is a testament to, I think, the work that you've put in and the passion that you've shown um, for for a number of years now. So all the admiration. And I'm very excited as well that you're kind of a, a part of WWF. But I wondered, what are you hoping to achieve in that role? A couple of the things that we have been working on. I think we really want to highlight a lot of the work that's happening here. I think one of the big ones is show people how plants will be a huge ally in our fight and it doesn't have to be all of these new technological you know advances and that actually you know protecting nature uh which just feels like more of a like basic human instinct to be honest with you yeah so true yeah yeah that's like a huge answer and then i mean i you know i always feel like you know making some huge governmental change would be really exciting. You know, I'm really passionate about fashion. And so, you know, cleaning up our industry footprint there is really interesting, but also rewarding renewable energy would be another brilliant one. So just a few small things then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, to wrap up what has, again, just been such a a beaut conversation, maybe I could sit and chat to you all day, (laughs) which we need to do as well in your garden, speaking of plants. How is it all? I know. By the way, how is that all going? The plants, the allotment? Good, really good. And I we had a little party the other day and we had all of the tomatoes from our greenhouse and all of the potatoes in our potato salad and they went down a tree. It was amazing. It was like our last harvest probably of the tomatoes because it's getting really cold now. Hey. Um, but yeah, it was great. If was for good. anyone who can't see, the smile <laughs> on Maisie's face, right? And this is now, I'm always speaking about my allotment on this podcast. When you find the love for it, there is a smile and a glint in the eye like no other is there. I know, it's so rewarding. And I literally just like love it when people are like, oh, did you make this? And I'm like, yeah, tomatoes from the garden. Like it just feels <laughs> so good. <laughs> well, finally, Maisie, what are the things that gives you hope as a whole? Well, I mean, like, you know, when there's kind of like these decisions that are like super simple that are implemented and people just go, oh, okay, we won't use straws, cool. And it just kind of happens. That's when you kind of go, well, this could be really simple. And I think... I I always get kind of hopeful when I see things like that. But I also just wish that, you know, there was more. (laughs) I think that it's easy to look at how far we need to go. But the fact that we have COP26 and the fact that we're here talking about it and the fact that we do have these little moments of unity 
where real change can be implemented. That in itself is really powerful. The fact that we're here together is is cool. And as much as we can celebrate that, I think it will happen again. It really will. <laughs> it will. Well, listen, um, Maisie, please come on anytime. And I'm going to come down for some potatoes and tomatoes when we can. Yes. Of course, all the luck for the uh, for the speech tonight as well at the premiere. Thank you. So lovely to chat with you. Thank you very, very much. Throughout this episode, we've heard about how COP26 is about calling on our political leaders, big businesses, industries to face up to climate change and take actual tangible action. And don't get me wrong, they're the ones that can bring about the big change on a global scale. But as always, with Call of the Wild, we'd like to finish now thinking about what actions we can take to make a difference. So we've been hearing from people on the Climate Justice March in Glasgow, which happened on the 6th of November, about what actions they're taking to tackle climate change. So I'm vegetarian, so that's probably my easiest thing that I do every single day. So I don't eat meat, but I do eat some animal-based products but I make sure that they're all sustainably sourced. I cycled to COP 600 miles from where I live, then I'm going to be cycling back. And that's the end of this special episode, my friends. I've really enjoyed it and I hope you have as well. And it was so special for me to be able to do this while at COP in Glasgow. I want to say a massive thank you to Stephen Cornelius, Belle Leon, Chai Surawi and Maisie Williams for sharing their big ideas and personal experiences of fighting climate change at COP26. And my friends, are you ready? One massive surprise to finish off this episode with. I am buzzing to tell you that we are going to be back in the new year with a brand new season of Call of the Wild. And I'm so excited to keep on having these conversations and exploring the things that we can do while also equipping ourselves with the knowledge of what is going on. That couldn't have happened without you listening. So a massive thank you to you as well. Call of the Wild is a Fresh Air production for WWF UK. Please do subscribe or follow now for free so that you don't miss an episode. The Wild is calling. It's time to act. Call of the Wild.